Hello, welcome to the Spaceship Earth Mission Log Podcast. I'm here with Della Burford, whose project is Earth Action. And she is an absolutely amazing artist and has written multiple books. And so this project features around a specific book that you were working with a group. Did you end up getting people on your mission to help you with the project? Yes. Um, yeah, the Earth Action has been twice in the um, space camp. Uh, the first time where I was sort of developing the ideas, and it came from um, uh, a picture book called Magical Earth Secrets that I wanted to have a activity book to go with it. And, and I had developed one years ago, but it wasn't updated information. So, yes, a few people worked with me. Uh, one is William Meyerhoff. He, he's a great architect that, that gave me lots of ideas. And he included actually some really great geometric shapes in the book that became um, activities where kids could make ge- geometric uh, forms, like um, the tetrahedron was one, for example, gumdrop tetrahedron, and there's the geosphere. So he was helping me with that. And then also Peter Meislin helped me in the first space camp a lot. And he, he has developed um, like something on the internet called Genie. And it's checking out alternative energy sources all over the world. And I developed a game called the World Energy Game that's in the book. Very cool. I'm going to ask you a lot about the book, but where I'd like to start with today's interview is your connection to Buckminster Fuller. I think we're going to talk a lot about that because I think that'll actually help ground the conversation for this group and for us. We had a bit of technical difficulties getting into the call, so apologies for the sound. But we're going to um, just, you know, connect over your lovely work. And I was extremely impressed when I looked at Dodo Land's website that you have and all of the many exhibitions that you've done. So obviously, you're very, very inspired by Buckminster Fuller. Tell me more about that connection. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool thing. Uh, my, my first book was published in 1977 in Los Angeles. And at that time, I was doing workshops and leading workshops for children in Los Angeles. And I went to uh, something called the Humanistic Psychology Conference. And who was there but Buckminster Fuller? (laughs) And he was speaking. And um, I was in a front row listening to him. And all of a sudden, um, when he was speaking, his whole body disappeared. And he was just a bright white light. And um, he became the cosmos, basically, at that moment to me. Incredible. Yeah. (laughs) So that had a tremendous effect on me. And I decided that I was going to really listen to his philosophy and what he had to say. And one of the things that he he does say, of course, is that you should, um, he had an experience where he, he saw a white light. And um, he was having problems in his life and all of a sudden was told that um, he's not, you're not you, you are the cosmos, you are more than yourself. And uh, so I, I kind of based my whole life, my whole career around that and based around the idea that um, you should do work for humanity. He was told at that time as well, you should do work for humanity. And he started to change his whole 
drift on what he did. He didn't care about exactly all the money. It was doing it for humanity. And my work in my career has been for humanity. Your paintings depict energy and energy centers and the sort of a reflection, I think. Was that the first experience you'd have like that, like seeing someone just transfigured? <laughs> well, at that time in California, I was having a few of those. Um, and one of them, I had another one with, uh, um, well, there was different people, like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was another one. And uh, another one was... Uh, um, well, there was Tibetan monks that had the, <laughs> You studied with Tenzin Wingal Rinpoche. Right. I, I, I studied the dream yoga. Yeah. Amazing. And I just did a meditation this morning with them, actually. Um, but, um, yeah, my paintings are many energy centers are shown. Like, for instance, this is the Crystal Wish, who um, is one of the one of the main characters in the book of the Magical Earth Secrets. When I was developing um, the story of Magical Earth, I went into all the chakras of the body, and 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 depicted them in little uh, with little people of the rainbow, and they became part of this story. And then when Earth Action was created, they also were transferred over to Earth Action. So the little people of the rainbow, which represents the the centers of the body, are shown in. Um, the Earth Action Book, and they represent the elements, the earth, the water, the air, the sun, the stars, and and so each of the chapters of the book goes into each of those aspects as well. That's incredible. <laughs> and, you know, to ground the chakra system for those who may be a little more empiricist, because I know science has had a hard time connecting the chakras with any kind of um, empirical evidence. When I was at the chiropractor, I was looking at a chart of the nerve centers, both the uh, sympathetic and parasympathetic. If you look at where the yes. nerve, the nerve centers come out of the um, out of the spine and toward the front of the body, they actually line up perfectly with the sh- the traditional chakra system. I think there's like one yes. extra one, and it's yeah. it's pretty incredible. And and I was uh, I was working on a a podcast from my other podcast, The Language of Creativity, where um, she's talking about an open heart and studying the HeartMath Institute from an artistic right. perspective. And what she says is that, um, like, your your emotions, you feel them in your body. You feel them in different places. I mean, if you yes. feel, you know, feel like you were punched in the gut when someone says something terrible or, like, you you have a yes. frog in your throat or, you know, you, yes. you just feel cloudy-headed, you know, all of those things, all those those mental things correspond in the physical body. So there is an innate mind-body connection. And as you and I probably mm-hmm. know, there is a beyond connection that goes beyond our own our own physical field into the greater field so we are connected to the all that is we're in in in, we're linked just like the biosphere is linked you know everything's part of this web of life um tell me a little bit more about that experience because i'd really love to ground that part of the conversation (laughs) for all the sciencey folks out there because i know i know uh i know we we've we've touched upon those kind of things before well actually um I've been totally into the chakras for decades. And um, it all started when I went to India. I actually had um, 
uh, an experience of, of a type of a cancer that wasn't too bad, but it was cancer. And when I went to India, I was into the healing mode and I discovered the chakras. And of course, India, I mean, what can you do? You're in India. Thousands of years of <laughs> spiritual tradition right. that is very deeply woven with uh, Vedic yes. medical knowledge. Oh, yeah. Three sure. or four thousands of years of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up creating something called Wise Lotus One in India. And it was became part of Dodo Land. And it was the Wise Lotus One that gave the secret to go home from the land. But that was the beginning of doing the study on the chakras. And a lot of my stories go into the chakras because I think they are based, of course, in the physical body, but it's more than that. It's your emotions, it's your feelings, it's your aura, it's your connection to the universe. It's all these things. And your aura is just your field, and you can imagine your magnetic field, which we do project. That is part of heart math. The heart has a magnetic field four times larger than the brain. And so yeah, we all have sure. a field. And, and if you oh. doubt that, just stand next to someone in line and notice when they're <laughs> looking at you or standing close to you, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. It's, it's certainly been one of the things that has been embedded into my stories and my work, my whole career, really. And I, I actually uh, work with children and, and adults on developing their own chakra pictures and stories around that and lots of different things like that. So how is that knowledge about the elements and the chakras embedded into your story about the earth? Because you make a connection to this knowledge is very important to knowing how to care for our world. Absolutely. You know, it came to me when, when Magical Earth Secrets was published by the Western Canada Wilderness Committee that, um, I could incorporate the feeling of the chakras into loving the earth. So when I've got, for instance, the earth seed, and I've got the wheel of of the seasons and the wheel of of the food chain um, and the waste not wheel, not wasting things, it always connected to the element of the earth and the trees and taking care of the animals and so that became part of the activities in the guide. Like, for instance, we got one thing on upcycling and another thing on doing an endangered animal poster, all this sort of stuff. But um, and then in the water section, I've got the, the water um, chakra represented by uh, who's called sweet water. And then I've got lots of activities that are love the water activities and and water dances and, and 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 it seems to me you know our love for the water um comes from uh really identifying with love from the heart chakra but also identifying with the flow of life and that we are part of the flow of life uh but when i did was doing the book of earth action i was thinking about okay how can we protect the water and like in our class in the space camp this time, I was really impressed with, you know, the, the things that Brian von Herson was saying. Me about, too. About yeah. permaculture and how important it was in terms of climate change and taking care of the ocean and, and the carbon sinks and the work he's doing in creating those sea, seaweed gardens and 
And what I wanted to do with the guide this time when I was in space camp was incorporate not only sure we love the trees and we want to plant trees, but there's more than that. Yes. There's more than that we have to do. And that's what I tried to incorporate in the guide now. And so for the water, I got into the, you know, doing a poster on marine restoration and, and, and looking at that whole aspect of things. So going through, there's the solar, the solar power, of course, and air, there's stopping climate change by doing uh, other things like um, going into um, not using pesticides, agricultural stuff, like not using, uh, you know, I think the one earth, I was really impressed with what um, Carl was saying from the one earth about how we can do three things to to uh, help climate change. One is agricultural, using, you know, restorative agriculture, like no pesticides or no fertilizer. So I included that in the earth section. And then I included um, in the star section, which is connected to the energy again, I included um, the renewable energy, which was another thing that Carl went into, which is so important in trying to help climate change, um, is using solar power and using um, water power and using geothermal energy and, and using all these alternatives. And of course, in the space camp as well was Peter Bison, who's the expert on this. I mean, he has created Genie, which is the internet site for showing the alternative energy sources all over the world. And uh, so I included, I sort of was talking with him in both camps, the last one I was in and this one, and I created uh, the Dymaxium map, of course, is part of it, but I created something called the World Energy Game Collage. And it's based around the genie work um, because it's so important to use the alternative energy sources. Why are we burning all this fossil fuel and polluting the air when we can be using our own energy? So it's connected to energy. Everything is connected to energy. And mm -hmm. it's all connected to the elements, the water, the earth, the, the sun, the, the stars, uh, too. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the medicine wheel is interesting because... You know, it does go around in a circle and it includes the earth, right. the water. I don't have them in order. The earth, the water, the air, <laughs> and uh, the fire. And the fire right. is the sun. And the so all of the these sun. things have to be in balance. It's like we can't yeah. just put solar panels everywhere. Like we can't cover yeah. every square inch of the earth in solar panels. We know uh, from Kiss the Ground and other, you know, obviously other sources that, that the soil is essential for life. And also the, the plants, so the earth, you have the earth, and then you, you mentioned the water. Mm -hmm. And right. so we really have to think a whole system's view of Absolutely. energy. And so you're mm -hmm. right, uh, contained in, in, in the middle is spirit. And so mm -hmm. all of the elements of the medicine wheel are in a wheel, and they're part of the circle of totality. Yes. And um, yeah. so can you tell me a little bit more about the game that you created? Yeah, that that was fun to do. Uh, it I I was inspired by Peter Meisen and the the work he's doing with the world with the um, world of course energy games that Buckminster Fuller has created this incredible thing. You know, where 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 you look at the alternative energies in the world, but you also look at peace. I mean, he went into peace as well. Where in the world can you? 
can you start to uh, bring in um, peace? And and so uh, what I've got is I've got this Buckminster Fuller World game. It works for one person or a group. And you, for instance, if it's done in the classroom, each each child chooses a country. And that country, they do research on how that particular country is producing and consuming energy in their country. And then they write a little bit about it and do a picture of it. And they do a big global map in the world on the on the classroom wall. And that becomes um, the World Energy Game collage for the classroom. But every child contributes something about a country. They can get all the information from the Genie website. And so it's the resources there. It's just learning about it more and it becoming an educational uh, objective. So the game is a class participation art exercise. Yes, that's right. Now let's go into art a little bit more because that's your domain. And it seems like you're really doing a lot of impactful work through art. So can we share a little bit more about maybe how you got into art, but also how you've used art to inspire change such as the game oh yeah arts uh, creating and using the arts is is really what i do (laughs) and what i encourage others to do Uh, everything that i've done in terms of my whole career in doing this is 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 maybe me just starting as a source of a seed and then it becomes taken by a musician or taken by a theater company or taken by an animator and become something that they can share with the world. For example, um, the Magical Earth Secrets has been performed in New York City before it was a book. And a whole group in New York, a whole production group got involved. Um, wow. After, after the, it was, yeah, the Dodeland book was performed for seven years in New York. Um, this book was performed for two years. Um, then it was taken to, Edmonton to a dance company there called Maria Formola. She did a beautiful production. Um, people have used puppets. They've used dance. They've used costumes. Uh, just recently, it was performed in Japan for seven years as a theater production. I'm usually involved, and I encourage all the artists to do the work. <laughs> and so it's kind of fun and uh, for me, too. But... Um, and I have a couple of stories, like right now, another story called Star Galaxy for the World. Miracle Galaxy is being performed in Japan. So quite often when people do my work, artists, they then choose another story and do that too, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Well, it's great on your uh, Dota Land website, um, put it in the show notes, the the video that you made of that with Stroopy's oh. music. <laughs> Oh, it's just so wonderful. Yeah, so go check that out. It's the very top. Yeah, that's pretty cool, you know, talking about artists. uh, That was part of the Design Science Program, which I was part of for a year. Design Science Studio, yes. Design Science Studio was part of that for a year. And I got to meet um, some wonderful artists, of course. It's totally amazing. But Julian Ramirez, who I I worked with, uh, with the Design Science Studio, he took my story of Star Galaxy for the World and um, made it into an animated film. Hmm. And uh, it's a four and a half minute film. It's been shown at a peace festival in uh, Colombia called I Am Peace. It's been uh, shown to the artists who were involved in 
the Miracle Galaxy in Japan in this last summer. Uh, so it, it gets around. Uh, Stroopy did the music, uh, which is totally He beautiful. did a fantastic and, oh, job. He played a, like seven yeah. wind instruments on it. Oh, yeah, totally beautiful. And, yeah. and my brother, um, Freeman, did the my voice in that, and he really did a beautiful job, I think, of yeah. that. And he's so talented. And so musicians have been part of what I do, too. Like in, in the Earth, Earth Action book, I did um, – I have all these wheels of life. I call them the wheels, nature wheels. And uh, I have a song about them, how one be- – becomes into the other becomes into the other and mm. virgil scott in toronto did a, a recording of the idea of of one wheel connected to another wheel connected to another wheel connected to another wheel and they're all yeah. connected to the same wheel it's all one big circle it's all it's, one big wheel and there's all these all little wheels <laughs> Yeah. And I'm a wheel, and yeah. you're a wheel, and we're a wheel together. And we're then exactly. Buckminster Fuller Institute community is a wheel within all that we're in. Yeah. And yeah, yeah we're all wheels, and uh, we are all wheels, and the world is a wheel. And and if we can realize that, and realize that everything is connected, you cannot separate one thing from the other. It's all one, yeah. and that goes. That's part of the big philosophy in in Earth Action. And uh, John Van Meter, I don't know if you know him, he did a va- fabulous video of Earth Action, which was presented with the Design Science Studio as well. Let's talk about your collaborators and this particular iteration <laughs> of the project. Uh, I know you said William Meyerhoff, I've met him, he's incredible, was one of your right. collaborators. Tell me about from the start of Trim Tab on Climate Change and your project, tell me how this this round went with your project. What were your goals and objectives? Who were you, how did you collaborate with people? What improvements were made on your book? Well, uh, my main thing, um, I, I get very inspired by a lot of the speakers that are there. Mm-hmm. And so I incorporate their information that I'm learning from them into the book. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, with uh, Brian... And um, his whole marine thing, and then also Carl and uh, Peter Meisen, and and there's just so many people that were part of that group that inspired me in one way or another to include another art activity or another music activity, or you know, it, it, you can go into a lot of different um, ideas um, of people involved. Um, of course, Faith Flanagan has been a great supporter of my Earth Action, and she encouraged me when I was first doing it to to really work on this. and And she's been such a force of 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 making this happen. Is the Earth Action book different than the prior book in any way? Like, how do they contrast? Oh, the first Earth Action. There was, it wasn't called Earth Action. It was called the Environmental Activity Guide. And uh, it was actually written really decades ago. Because, so some of the information wasn't up to date. Mm-hmm. But it's really surprising how much of it is similar. Uh, but it's just, um, this is a more updated version. Um, that I think that um, I'm trying to use a little bit of the technology of today to get the message across as well. Like in the Design Science Studio, it was really fabulous because I got to work with um, 
of course, Julian Ramirez, an animator, but also I created two Topia worlds. Cool. And one, one is Dodo Land. And in Dodo uh-huh. Land, you can actually see the Earth Action book there. And wow. then I created another world called Star Galaxy for the World, which goes into um, ways of being that you have to be to, to make this world work as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Utopia was a wonderful experience when I did the first Design Science Studio Salon, and uh, I was kind of blown away by how so many artists had created this world in two-dimensional drawing that you could walk around and interact with people and have the vision train and all that stuff. It's really neat. (laughs) Um, I mean, did uh, did you see any kind of moving forward of you know, world systems change through Design Science Studio? Like, tell me tell me where maybe practically you've seen how art shifts perspectives in the real world. Well, for me, it did, because, um, of course, I had, I was in the Design Science Studio last year, and COVID was in full fledged, right? Yeah. And I couldn't do a lot of my storytellings that I usually do, or uh, there wasn't as many performance events. But with the people that were in the design science studio that were technically really, you know, um, being able to do things, um, I got to do the. I got to learn about Topia and do a Topia world. I got to work with Julian and do an animation. And I find that being open to those other ways of communication has made it possible for my work to get to a broader audience than I ever would have expected before. Yeah. But books are still extremely relevant. And I love that you have so many books. And I love that mm-hmm. you're working with children mm-hmm. in those books. I, I think the children of today and the the very young adults of today are a lot in a lot different place with they just kind of don't understand why we wouldn't take care of the planet. It's oh, like, yeah. of course, we, oh, yeah. you know, and and yeah. and so... I mean, have you gotten a chance to interact with children around your book? Have you gotten a chance to see their reaction to the paintings and the stories? Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) It's funny you should say that because I worked with a group in Toronto for 17 years and I went out to schools. I I visited probably 300 schools. Um, So I saw a lot of children. I think the children have made it possible for me to realize what it is that needs to be said and how it needs to be said. Mm. But uh, right now I'm doing a project right now with a school called Departure Bay School. They're an eco school. And the children in the classroom that I'm working with right now in grade four, but yes, they're really concerned about the environment and it's not something. Yes. It's not, it's not something that they don't really feel deeply about and they want to do whatever they can. And so it's really great. We're going to be doing posters with this group, which will be posters of the different um, activities in the, in the guide. Some of them of this, this latest um, climate change direction that I've taken in the guide. And um, they're really keen kids. I, I did a project, um, I guess, two months ago with Call to Earth, which is a CNN project um, that is international. It's all over the, it's all over the world. It's international. And I did a project at Departure Bay 
with the students, and it was about protecting the ocean. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole theme Super was protecting important. the ocean. And they had students from, you know, from Africa. They had students from India. They had students from uh, Hong Kong. They had students from all over involved in the projects that they're doing, some of them cleaning up the ocean, collecting plastic from the ocean. Um, you know, the many, many ways that uh, contributions are being made. But the students that I worked with, I had them create what was called ocean painting, where they actually mm. created a painting that was using the water of the ocean and letting it flow. Oh. And as it flowed, then they then uh, put their favorite sea creature in the water and uh, it was fun we we had fun doing that my husband worked with me on that dale bertrand as well so i yeah. i i try to continue all the time to come yeah be way open to new ideas now how did you start painting you know my mother was a painter and she taught me painting at a very young age and i painting was just something I did so naturally because I was taught when I was so young. And, um, of course, when I went to design school, etc., the art and putting things together graphically became really fascinating to me, too. Yeah. And uh, what medium do you paint? I paint in um, watercolor mm-hmm. and also in acrylic, mm-hmm. usually water-based. I was yeah. trained uh, in the Meech technique in Austria, um, but I learned it with oil colors as well as acrylic. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you would be willing to share about your experience that you studied with a shaman who studied with Jung. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. Yeah. Well, that's a long, long story. <laughs> well, we have time. But... We have 30 minutes. Oh, <laughs> Okay. I really want to kind of dive deep into these this interconnection because I feel like some people yeah. are reaching out for this kind of sense of the grander circle, you know, that, that we all have access to. Jung believed in the transpersonal con- unconscious. So, in right. other words, like, you can connect to the collective unconscious. He had a vision when he was uh, tra- riding on a train. This is Jung through Europe right before the Great War, and he saw what was going to happen. He had this flash of like this terror, and it turned out like two years later they were engulfed in a world war. And so um, a lot of his theories of the soul and the psyche he based around a meditation work that he did that included painting where he painted what he was seeing in his unconscious. He'd go in and delve Mm -hmm. into these visions that he was having, and and, um, he painted, and that's what helped Jung develop all the theories scientifically. So he took the mm-hmm. art side and the soul traveling side and then turned it into science and was able to utilize that to move psychology forward by leaps and bounds. Wow. So, I, yeah, I yeah. want to explore this connection. Yeah, it, it's a big connection for me. Um, I, I really paint from my dreams. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my paintings come from my dreams. And... Um, I have these totally amazing dreams and have for a very, very long time. Um, I guess most of my life. <laughs> and uh, I end up um, painting the images that come to me. And uh, sometimes these images have come through trauma, actually. 
And then they they develop into, like when I went to India, for example, I told you I had cancer. And when I went to India, I came up with a book called um, Journey to a Lotus. And the Journey to a Lotus was about finding, in fact, the essence in the end of the fact that we are at one with everything. And uh, but that came through my my dreams that were happening to me at that time as well. And uh, as far as a shaman goes, uh, I've been very fortunate to have worked with a number of shamans. Um, one such shaman was the one you mentioned that worked. He was a student of Carl Jung's, and so he really understood my dreams. And he didn't ever tell me what a dream meant. Hmm. He just would visit me in my dreams. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he he ended up uh, visiting me, for instance, at one instance, and he said, oh, you know, see that over there, the colors? You can change the colors, you know. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so he would plant all these seeds in my mind that I could become more lucid. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, being able to change colors and being able to remember more and all sorts of things, but it was done in a very unusual way. And he ended up actually helping me when Magical Earth Secrets was uh, being performed in New York before it was a book. He helped me with the, he came and we did a lot of ceremony and he helped me to uh design the costumes for the performers. Mm. And he he said that um, it was very important that the performers could move in the costumes, not that they looked a certain way, but that they could actually have movement. And he, right. also, he also played the drum, and he had one of the performers in New York, for instance, enter the stage for the Magical Earth Secrets playing a song which was called the children's song that came through him in ceremony. And it, she was playing the drum. So we included a lot of things that were actually things that came to me and to him in ceremony and my husband. My husband was very involved too. Mm. And um, we were incorporating it in the productions. And this is the way I learned from him, that you actually can do ceremony and the ceremonies can become part of your paintings and the ceremonies can become part of the theater production and the ceremonies can become part of the music because it is all connected. It's not just something physical. It's something more than that, that mm-hmm. you can learn from and then you incorporate it into your work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a very meaningful experience. Um, I still do uh, medicine wheels constantly that I incorporate it into the development of, of my projects. I've got three going right now, actually. And I light candles, uh, do, you know, some ceremonies are Peruvian, some are Mexican, some are Tibetan, some are, you know, different cultures that I've been influenced by. And I incorporate, I do the ceremony and then I see what comes and incredible dreams come to me. I've written a book called Dream Wheels, which has got uh, actually about 49 years of dreams that I've recorded. Amazing. 
Yeah. Amazing. Uh, you mentioned movement, and I think we often forget of the importance of movement when we're doing visual medium because right. we're so used to, like, even the act of painting. We think of the finished painting, yeah. but I know from talking to mentors of mine that when you're painting, it's about the flow of how the painting and losing right. your mind and just going with the <laughs> feeling of it so you have the freedom to express. And so right. I would say that the allegory is that uh, in this moment of strife that we find ourselves in in our collective, it could be this beautiful moment before catharsis where we're moving through some things and the movement uh, and the, the, the pressure that's causing the movement is part of the beauty of what is emerging. And so you can see that when you're doing a, a play, you can see that when you're doing dance, you can see that um, there's an evolution that's occurring and there is truly no stace. There's st there is truly no, everything is moving all the time. Right. And I, I also find it fascinating that the um, idea of um, dreams is something that I don't know most people that understand their dream. I was kind of, I was kind of wondering if, you know, you, that moment where he said, you know, you can change the colors in the dream. I wonder what you think about the idea. Can we learn to change the elements in our collective dream that we're having? Hmm. Like, I think that, yeah, I think we can. Um, but I think that it depends on the individual. If the individual decides, I'm going to take more of a, an active role here. I'm mm -hmm. going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to be, take action basically. Then Yes the dream can change because when you are well, like when I study, when I study dream yoga, for instance, or what I call dream yoga with, uh, Tenzin Rinpoche, you can say, uh, at any instance, like I'm looking out right now at a seagull, actually at this moment, very moment, I can say, this is a dream. This is a dream. Mm -hmm. Well, tonight in my dream, I will see that moment. And I will oh. be shown what that moment really means on a deeper level. Wow. So, it, yeah, there, it, it's, it's so um, deep and so connected. And uh, uh, I think the dream, I love dreams. And <laughs> I think the dreams are, you know, the capacity of people to dream and to, and to learn from their dreams and, and to use their dreams in, in enriching their life and enriching the world is huge. Mm -hmm. and it should not be forgotten um and i guess that's one of the things that some people in the world are working on like robert moss is a big dream shaman uh he, he's working so hard on this he's got dream ambassadors all over the world um it's so important to have the dreams and to, and to manifest the dreams that's what i've done all my life is manifesting the dreams it's very important to manifest the dreams. If I have a dream at night and I think, oh, my gosh, I've either got to paint it, I've got mm -hmm. to see it produced, I've got to see it sung. And I, I don't have the um, capacity to do all my dreams because I have so many, but I do, <laughs> write, I do write them down. And I write little, uh, what, I do, what I call a dream mandala I do each year. It's called uh -huh. a dream, dream wheel. I've got 40 of them, 45 maybe. And on those wheels, I've got one or two lines that tells me about that dream. And 10 years, sometimes later, I'll look at it and I'll say, 
I'm going to paint that dream. I'm going to make that dream manifested somehow. Wow. Well, in, in Don Miguel Ruiz writes in the Four Agreements about the collective dream that we share. And of yeah. course, the, the Four Agreements is a spiritual book, but it's very practical because it really talks about the operating system of how we think and the kinds of assumptions that we're making about life and how those stories that we tell ourselves tend to do violence to others and to ourselves. And so to frame the world as a dream and to understand that the stories we tell ourselves and how we understand or interpret those stories influences our actions. It influences oh, yes. how we treat oh, others. Yes. It influences yes. our body language towards others, which influences their opinion of us. And, you know, as we were talking about on this energetic level, how we feel affects how we manifest. It, it affects what we're putting out there. You're having a crappy day. You know, you miss the good things and you focus on the bad. You're having a great day. You brighten someone's day with a smile. It's just, you know, it's causality in that sense. And, uh, so I think there's a very powerful idea about looking at your dreams with a sense of conscious awareness and deciding to um, look into them with a different way, because I think that influences our waking life, too. And mm -hmm. I think even the most um, prolific of scientists in our world cultivated some sort of spiritual connection. Einstein and uh, Tesla and a lot of, I mean, you mentioned Bucky. Uh, he's seen, I've heard some stories. He seems to have had a very <laughs> transcendent experience as well. I wonder if we could delve a little more into Bucky and your personal experience with him and his classes, uh, but also if you care to comment on any other of the things that I was mentioning. Well, there's so many things to think about in terms of, I mean, he, his mind is, was so vast and so connected to, we are not ourselves. We are not you. You are the cosmos. I, I always mm. saw that as being so important because we are this greater thing. When you look out into space, you realize, oh my God, I'm part of that. Oh my gosh, I'm part of that. I mean, that, that's feeling I get from him when I'm looking at what he writes. And, and he was so advanced in the way he thought of the world. And now today, 50 years later, people are looking at this and going, oh, my gosh, he said that? I mean, when you look at the amount of things that he said that became true, at the time people said, no, no, that's impossible, but it became right. true. Yeah, it's astounding. He dreamed the dream. <laughs> he put he it was, out there, and then everybody, no. then then the collective consciousness sort of eventually like soaked it in. The collective unconscious. Okay, you know, I I think we're yeah. telling ourselves too many bad dreams right now. Well, I think we have to be very careful of that. I I used to have a very good friend that was a yogi, and she did a special kind of yoga that was very advanced. And she used to say to me, and this was in the eighties, so it was a long time ago. She used to say to me, you know, the really terrible thing these days is that children are getting attached to violence. Yeah. Um, there's violent games, video games, and where they're killing each other. And she said that's very, very dangerous because it it's sort of like they're feeding on that, right? And I think yeah. that's happening. And I think that 
it's something that people have to be more aware of. You just can't put out those those kinds of things to young people and think it's not going to have an effect in the world. And even the the use of um, uh, computers with artificial intelligence, apparently, um, so many of the young people that are uh, maybe college age or they're playing war games. Mm-hmm. And apparently the huge numbers, like I was astounded when I heard the numbers involved. Mm-hmm. And um, But those create this incredible energy that is not what we want in the world we want to be able to have peace and we're meant to have peace and so there has to be more actions for peace and i think that people can do that through their what they do their own behavior in their life in yoga they call it ahinsa non-violence it's non-violent mm-hmm. to yourself you be kind to yourself, be kind to others. It's part of what is important in actions, in words, in everything we say. It's all so important. And when people reach that consciousness, that will be the dream when the dream, when the dream really becomes what it should be. It's like the world game that Bucky proposed. And I know one of the other projects delves into that a little bit where there are. It's like if there are so many people playing these games, the war games, and that's what we're rehearsing. That's the dress rehearsal that we're doing. Couldn't we do the collaborative dress rehearsal? And uh, I was watching with my son. We went to the theater and watched a new movie called um, uh, Strange World. And there's this moment in the film where the grandson is trying to teach them to play this game that they're all into. And there's the dad and the grandpa and they could, the dad and the grandpa couldn't be more different. It's kind of this father son story. And so they're sitting there and they're trying to play this game and the demon spider comes out. They're like farming for resources. This kind of looks like, um, you know, uh, settlers of Catan or whatever. And, um, and then both of the, both the dad and the, the grandpa are like, you know, let's kill the demon spider. And he's like, no, 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 you don't just, you can't, that's not the rules. You can't kill the demon. Well, let's kill it anyway. So they kill the demon spider. And then the next card that comes up is locust. And he's like, congratulations. We all lose because the demon spider was supposed to eat the locusts. And uh, they said, well, but if we weren't supposed to kill the demon spider, then who's the bad guy? And he's like, you don't get it. There is no bad guy. Like, there's no bad guy. And everyone's like, huh? <laughs> what? And and then they, then he says, he gets really frustrated. And finally, he finally looks at his, his dad and his grandpa. And he says, okay, fine. If you want a bad guy, you guys are the bad guys. <laughs> because their mindset was so stuck in this like there has to be this conflict there we you know but the game was collaborative so it was very bucky to have like a world game inside of this movie and i was just i was kind of smiling inside going yeah that's kind (laughs) of where we're at it's like it's taken this slow evolution in consciousness over the last four generations to kind of warm up to some of these fundamental shift in ideas Uh, even about, you know, how to think in cooperation. I may have heard many authors say that you can't have a good story without conflict. Um, The man who founded the Venus Project, he was writing about the fact that he wanted to produce a movie where they had a non, like a 
non-conflict driven story. And he had so much trouble when he went through the development of the writing of the story, because it was just nearly impossible to create movement in a story arc without some sort of conflict. So he was trying to make a story where the world was harmonious and kind of like backcasting to what we want to live in. But it was like really difficult to break free from just the plot devices that everybody uses to, Mm -hmm. to create with. I mean, we're so accustomed to those things. They're very, they're ingrained. Yeah, that really is meaningful for me because um, I created a Dodo Land and it's a world that's peaceful and imaginative and creative and there's no, there's no conflict in the story. And I had a tremendous <laughs> difficult time uh, with certain people who said, you just can't have this story and not have conflict. And I said, yes, you can. And mm-hmm. uh, so, um, fortunately, a man from California uh, decided in 1977 that he liked, he loved the story, actually, and wanted to produce it as a book. And he produced it as a large format book that was this big in 1977. It cost him $900,000 to do it. Wow. It had, in 1977, it, wow. was, it was eight colors and... Um, <laughs> unbelievable 50 pages a beautiful book it won in British Institute of America award it was so outstanding but anyways he decided I'm going to publish this story it doesn't have any conflict it's all about peace it's all about finding yourself it's all about your individuality it's about all these things I'm going to publish it and he did and it was really encouraging for me and it, it sort of set my life up actually it was just actually just about the time I met Buckminster Fuller, so they sort of connected. And then um, I ended up um, uh, working with that story with a group in New York who decided they wanted to share this message of become yourself, become who you are, become your individual. Yeah. And, 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 and they produced it in Harlem and it went to every child in Harlem, the story of Dodo Land. Um, got produced i was able to fly in from toronto to see the production many times um hundreds of times i guess but anyways wow. so that was kind of fun and then it and then it was chosen by another you know there's these enlightened individuals that come in your life and this man was enlightened and he was um don goddard who was part of a program in western canada that was that was having artists and having musicians and having uh, storekeepers and learn about the internet. And this was 19, you know, it was 19, I guess actually what year was that? 95, 94. And he chose Dodo Land as the story to use. Wow. And it became uh, a site on the internet. And at that time there was hardly any color on the internet. I said, it has to be in color. And, Mm -hmm. And so it became in color. It became a hit immediately, wow. and uh, I think it's had millions of hits. This website that wow. is now Total Land Online, but um, but there you go. You know, I mean, it can happen. You know, you could create these beautiful things, and they can be embraced because people really do want this. Yeah, you know? they yeah. Want this. I mean, it's <laughs> and you know, it strikes me that when preschoolers watch television. Because I have a I have a preschooler and I have an elementary school uh, ten year old right now, and yeah. 
when preschoolers, when they do children's television for preschoolers, there really is no conflict. I mean, if you look at Coco Melon, it's babies sitting around playing, singing nursery rhymes. Mm -hmm. And toddlers love it. They just, and then the moment you put in conflict, it it creates distress. And I think there's something about the philological human development where we all kind of go through the phases of human evolution. Dr. Harvey Karp talks about that, where, um, you know, sort of like you go through your caveman stage, then you become a villager, and then, you you know, you sort of go through these different stages of evolution. So by the time my son reaches elementary, middle elementary school, then he's kind of in this this rules phase where everything's, you know, it's about fairness and, you know, that's not fair. This is, and so it's just natural for humans to, to go through this evolution. However, some humans, many humans get stuck in a certain place. And so I think we're sort of meant to evolve through that. And I think collectively Mm -hmm. as humanity, we're evolving through that. Um, It reminds me of one of the offshoots of Design Science Studio, I believe it's called um, World Weavers. There's a group that meets called World Weavers. And what they do is they write stories for the purpose of envisioning the future that we want to live in. So in other words, what would that future work look like? What would it feel right. like? Um, how, right. how would people get around, you know, all those things. And you, you write stories around mm-hmm. that for the purpose of mm-hmm. dreaming the dream that you want right. to inhabit. And I find that, you know, just like Star Trek, just like, um, you know, uh, we have video phones now, um, the Jetsons, you know, these fictions tend to color our reality. I mean, the Matrix, you know, is very much a part of the pop culture now. Not that those ideas didn't exist before, but when people have that in front of them visually, artistically, those tend to seep into our consciousness and eventually we're mm-hmm. going to find a way to create that. We have all these stories about rogue AI robot androids and look at the future we're trying to create right now i mean we need a better story and so i think that does start with the children i think that does Mm -hmm. start at that early age and also you know letting that permeate in a way that can grow with the adults in the life with the communities and you're right there's too much focus on violence on conflict on what's wrong on what so art brings the beauty in the world and art helps to expose the contrast of mm-hmm. where there isn't beauty mm-hmm. and how to how to move through that and how to how to cope with that absolutely yeah i one of the activities that i've got in the guide uh, is called um making a, a picture book an environmental picture book mm-hmm. and i've done this with hundreds of children actually and um Basically, it goes into creating your own environmental hero or heroine. Hmm. And then once they create their own environment, and they can make their environmental hero or heroine human or animal or bird or whatever or combination or anything they want. It's totally imaginative. And then they they create a world for that environmental hero and like what kind of environment does it live in and they include nature much certain kind of mountains but it can be imaginary and then certain kind of water and certain kind of um houses that are unusual or different and and once they've created the world then i have them write the story of solving some problem that there is in the world and and they write beautiful stories about protecting the animals protecting the water protecting the air and um 
it's it's quite wonderful. And then sometimes they have what we've what we've done is have um, book events where they actually have young author events where they show their books and they share their books with stories. Sometimes do plays and things like that. But uh, I think part of the process is let's create these imaginary worlds and then there might be a chance they can manifest in some way too uh, because young children their imaginations are wild and wonderful why not use that instead think of um, good things you know good stories yes. good characters good ways of dealing with problems and, and sometimes the children that I've worked with have done special dream work with whether they actually include their dreams in the stories as well you know, when you mention uh, writing your own hero, it reminds me of a journal exercise I was given. And I forget exactly the prompt, but I think you were supposed to figure out how you use certain aspects of yourself to become who you needed to be in the world. And um, mm-hmm. it was interesting because mine ended up being the, the common thread for me was, was the, that I am kind. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think because I think the themes in the prompt had to do with creating change and things like that. And it was, it was so neat to um, come to that inner knowledge of how I serve in the world and what I have to give uniquely. And I think right. that's just it. I think you mentioned some of the conflict that people experience while they're growing up. It has a large part to do with the fact that our society currently expects people to fit in a certain way. And I don't think it always always usually utilizes people as they really are meant to be in the world. And there 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 becomes this inner battle of like, I oh, but I have to find this job or I have to, you know, fit in this way in the community. And mm-hmm. that's what I love about artists is I feel like the artist community is very much like you are who you are and we accept mm-hmm. you how you are. And I think that's a very heart centered way to be, way to live. <laughs> right. Yes, of course. And that was the theme of Dodo Land, Be What You Want to Be. And, Beautiful. Um, and uh, uh, they had a special uh, magic hat to wear. I call it the bird hat that they wore to remember who they were, what was their imaginary being that was special wow. and was different. And in New York, I mean, I'd go into a performance with like, a thousand children in the audience and they'd all have their hats on. <laughs> I love that. Hats. Remember who you are. That's Remember my favorite line are. from a movie. Like mm-hmm. the Lion King is my all time favorite movie because of when Mufasa tells Simba, remember who you are. Right. It like resonated yes. with me as a yes. message. And all of a sudden yes. it was like that Bucky moment. Like you said, I am one with the universe. All right. of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. Like I actually remember stuff. I remember how to do stuff. I remember there's so much more that I know than I learned in this lifetime. And there's access to, like you said, Bucky had access to this vast libraries of knowledge. And I think it's really important that we start to open up to that and we start to become curious about the possibility Mm -hmm. of that. I think, you know, once we start dreaming together, I think there's, there's more things that can happen, more things that can emerge. And yes. uh, when you were sitting there and Bucky disappeared and and, the, the, <laughs> and he was just energy, um, what, what was that class? What was he teaching and what did you learn from him? Well, that was him speaking at the Humanistic Psychology Conference in uh, 
um, well, actually, it was an event in Los Angeles, a big event in the 1970s in Los Angeles. So when he was speaking and he disappeared <laughs> and became light, um, I realized, yes, we are light. Hmm. We are part of the cosmos. This man is tapped into it. Yes. But we are all, all are that. And you can too. And you can too. Yeah. Yes. I really want people to go check out Dota Land. So uh, can you tell me the domain, <laughs> the domain name? What is, the, what is that website for people to go yeah. check out? Um, it's called Dota Land and it's just www.dotaland.com. Okay, yeah, go check that out. You can find the movie yeah, that was made yeah. with Stroopy. And um, Della Burford, you also have a blog online, and we'll link that in the show notes as well. Um, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything that you really want to share with the, the listeners of the community? Well, I think it's most important that everybody, you know, realizes their individuality they they express their individuality in their arts art can be very powerful um i my life is an example of that and um don't be afraid of 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 sharing your art and joining with other artists and sharing that and if you're in the audience and you're enjoying it you're part of it too you know uh let's 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 create, you know, creating a world that is beautiful and peaceful and wonderful can all, can so much be part part of creating the arts and, and allowing the arts to come through and um, making it beautiful because our world is beautiful. I was told in a dream, and I included it actually in the book because it came to me in a dream, that the world is one and beautiful. And I was told that in a dream, this is a loudspeaker. The world is one and beautiful. Mm. And um, so I put that at the back of Earth Action. And I think that's the message I would leave people. The world, world is one and beautiful. Mm. Amazing. Della Burford, thanks for being my guest on the Spaceship Earth Mission Log and for sharing your beautiful mission with us, your books, your prolific artwork. And people can look you up in the show notes. People can reach out to you if they're part of the space camp. They got your email. And please collaborate. Please find out about each other. You know, I love the example of how every time you go to space camp, you update your knowledge of of what you're going to share through your art. (laughs) And um, so that's how important this is. And so, uh, Della, thank you for being a part of this. And thank you for your beingness and your doing through your art. I really am grateful to meet you. That's wonderful. uh, I'm grateful to meet you, too. (laughs) 